don't have enough time to sit down and read all the best Bitcoin articles? Well, let us read them for you. This is a Crypto Economy Quick Read. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone out there. This is the Crypto Economy Podcast, and I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anyone you know. I am going to do a little more reading today. We have got a quick read, uh, and this is one that uh, there's a, particularly there's a section towards the end that I really, really love about this one, but uh, there's always a lot of discussion, one of the worst FUD out there. Uh, most obnoxious, in my opinion, as well, is the whole Bitcoin's energy consumption, quote-unquote, problem. And people completely miss, uh, because so many people misunderstand what Bitcoin is competing with, like the actual uh, infrastructure and the alternative that uh, Bitcoin actually provides, um, that they completely miss how to compare the energy consumption as well. Uh, it's just a wholly different, the, the frame is just completely wrong for the argument. So I always like to cover anything that I think provides a lot of really good insight uh, to this entire discussion here. And this one was really good. Uh, I thought it had some really, really great points to add. So it will be added to our Bitcoin's energy consumption uh, pool of writing here. Uh, and this is by, this was published on the Block Keeper publication on Medium. And it is by Daniel Wingen. Uh, that's W-I-N-G-E-N. Uh, and I think I contacted him on Twitter. Let's see here. Um, well, I think his... Uh, I'll, obviously, I'll just tag him in the... Uh, um, uh, he's the founder of Blockkeeper, actually, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I'll tag him in the show notes and in the Twitter post. And I believe his tag is his name just spelled out daniel yes yes it is daniel wingen uh just all one word uh that's his twitter handle so if you want to go ahead and follow him before we get into this read i would recommend doing so um but without further ado let's go ahead and jump into his article titled bitcoin's energy consumption is a necessity and might have a positive impact on the environment. Bitcoin is accused of consuming enormous amounts of energy in the process of securing transactions, called mining. Alex DeVries, author of a commentary research article from May 2018, told The Independent that Bitcoin mining will use 0.5% of the world's energy by 2018. According to his statements, he found out that, quote, the Bitcoin network can be estimated to consume at least 2.55 gigawatts of electricity currently, end quote, which is comparable with the energy consumption of Ireland, 3.1 gigawatts. On his blog, Digiconomist, Alex hosts the Bitcoin Energy Consumption Index with regularly updated figures. Many people argue that Bitcoin's energy consumption is steadily growing due to an increasing number of transactions or price appreciation. However, Bitcoin's energy consumption is linked to the proof-of-work consensus mechanism securing the Bitcoin blockchain as a whole. 
A look into this mechanism allows one to draw assumptions about the future development of Bitcoin's energy consumption. After explaining the proof-of-work mechanism and its relation to energy consumption, the crucial feature of the proof-of-work mechanism to secure the network is depicted. Finally, the assumption that Bitcoin is the way to reduce fossil fuel energy production is presented based on current research results. Bitcoin's proof-of-work consensus mechanism and its relation to energy consumption. Work is energy directed to a certain action, and energy is, quote, work done, as stated by the French mathematician Gaspard Gustave de Coriolis. The work done can be stored in money, such as Bitcoin, for future expenses. The Bitcoin consensus mechanism is based on proof-of-work in which energy is used to keep the blockchain running securely. In the process of generating new blocks, miners solve a guessing game in which pooled transactions plus a nonce are inserted into a SHA-256 hash function in an average time frame of 10 minutes until the result matches predetermined criteria defined by the protocol. In more detail, miners retrieve unconfirmed transactions from the mempool and then bundle them into a new block. This block has several pieces of information in the block header. The miners then take the block header, add a random number called a nonce, and put it into the hash function, resulting in a 256-bit number. Only results smaller than a certain limit are accepted by the network, which is again predetermined by the blockchain protocol and called a target. The miners repeatedly insert the conglomerations of transactions bundled as blocks into the hash function until a result matches the criteria. The number of such trials per second is called the hash rate. The first miner who receives a result that matches the predetermined criteria broadcasts that result to the network and receives the block reward, which also includes transaction fees of the transactions included into the block. This process is called mining, due to the similar properties of Bitcoin and precious metals. Satoshi Nakamoto, the fictitious name of the inventor of Bitcoin, supports this statement in one of his posts. Quote, In this sense, Bitcoin is more typical of a precious metal. Instead of the supply changing to keep the value the same, the supply is predetermined and the value changes. End quote. Satoshi Nakamoto. If you want to read more about the mining process in detail, this is a great starting point. And he links to how Bitcoin mining really works, um, which is on the freecodecamp.org medium page. Uh, and freecodecamp is actually a really good resource. I've read a lot by them in the past, and I'd actually definitely encourage people to go check that out if you really want to dig into some of this stuff. They, they have a lot of great tutorials and explanations up there. The number of Bitcoins issued per block is predetermined by the protocol. As a result, the supply of Bitcoin is mathematically controlled and finite, in stark contrast to money issued by central banks. Over time, the amount of new Bitcoins issued per block decreases by 50%. This, quote, halvening occurs every 210,000 blocks, or roughly every four years. Currently, 12.5 Bitcoins are issued per mined block. The Bitcoin proof-of-work mechanism is set up 
so that the difficulty of finding a new block is adjusted every 2016 blocks, and the average time for finding a new block is about 10 minutes. The difficulty is influenced by the hash rate provided by the network. The higher the hash rate, the higher the difficulty. This means that there is a mining market with a fixed supply of bitcoins, as defined by the protocol, and a variable demand for computing power based on the difficulty determined by the overall hash rate. Due to the law of supply and demand, the predetermined Bitcoin reward per block, the current Bitcoin price, and the mining costs define the cost-efficient number of miners contributing to securing the network. In an efficient market, the premium equals zero, which means that the marginal return from burning a kilowatt hour of energy through proof of work equals the marginal mining costs. This results in the following formula, where block reward includes transaction fees. The block reward times the Bitcoin price equals hash rate times the cost per hash. The automatic adjustment of Bitcoin's mining difficulty leads to a dynamic, self-correcting system. Assume the Bitcoin price and the block reward remains constant while the mining costs increase. For the above equation to hold, fewer people will mine, which eventually lowers the mining difficulty. The same holds for the reverse. Assume the left side of the equation remains constant and the mining costs decrease more Bitcoin miners will come online, which increases difficulty. In reality, however, perfect equilibrium does not occur since miners do not immediately switch off their equipment when they become unprofitable. Also, the increase in hash rate lags due to manufacturing and delivery time requirements. This leads to arbitrary advantages for existing hash rate owners when the Bitcoin price increases. One can conclude. One. The energy consumption for keeping the Bitcoin blockchain running is determined by the hash rate of the network and each miner's energy consumption. Two, the Bitcoin reward is predetermined by the protocol. And three, the overall cost-efficient mining power is defined by the market, Bitcoin reward per block, and the Bitcoin price. Ultimately, mining Bitcoins should be compared with mining precious metals or with the banking system. The following figure taken from this article that retrieves information from Haas McCook in 2014 and uses updated Bitcoin mining, including investment costs and running costs, shows this comparison. Additionally, a comparison with Visa is included based on the 2017 Visa Annual Report. Running through a list of numbers doesn't go off very well in audio, um, but the chart shows the yearly cost and then the total energy used for uh, gold mining, gold recycling, paper currency and minting, the banking system, uh, all expenses, uh, then Visa, and then Bitcoin mining. The general idea from the table is simply that Bitcoin mining is very low and or insignificant in comparison to most of these alternatives, both in the yearly cost and in the energy used. But if we're specifically pointing out the banking system and gold mining, uh, it's far less. Um, the banking system has $1,870 billion in yearly cost. Gold mining has $105 billion. Bitcoin mining is $4.5 billion. Energy used for gold mining is $475 million. 
and for the banking system is 2,340 million, and Bitcoin mining is 183. Most other studies use faulty methodology to calculate the future Bitcoin energy consumption. Extrapolations rely on the energy costs per transaction, which is not the correct measure to calculate energy costs, since these are solely dependent on the deployed hash rate. The hash rate, in turn, is independent of whether the block is full or not, and the network is working at full capacity or not. Additionally, most studies base calculations on the assumption that no transaction batching exists. Transaction batching is a collection of several transactions which are then written on the blockchain as one transaction. Exchanges, for example, collect off-chain transactions in a central database which are then collectively written on the blockchain as one settlement transaction. The same holds for the emerging Lightning Network and sidechains like Liquid with the additional crucial feature of trustlessness. Thus, Bitcoin irreversibly becomes more of a settlement layer that secures exponentially more and more economic value. Lastly, calculations are often made with very outdated data on mining power, which fails to capture the increased efficiency of Bitcoin mining. Bitcoin's energy consumption in the future. The future energy consumption depends on the number of miners and each miner's energy efficiency. The energy consumption per hash decreases together with the global trend of increased energy efficiency due to better chip design. A table adapted from Bitcoin Wiki shows the increasing energy efficiency of newer ant miners, a specific Bitcoin mining hardware. In particular, the millihash per joule, or millions of hashes per joule, increase dramatically. This means with a given joule of energy, one watt per second, the hash rate increases by more than 20 times from ant miner generation one to generation nine. The efficiency in terms of costs also raises dramatically. The same holds for the Bitfury miners as shown in the following tables. Another study shows an increase in miner efficiency and reduced costs over time. Figure one shows the hardware efficiency versus the shipping date, so the gigahashes giga per joule, and just shows a steep increase from 2014 to 2018. And then figure two shows the hardware cost versus the shipping date, and that shows a steep decrease uh, from 2014 to 2018. What this is generally showing is the immense amount of extra hash power we are continuing to get out of uh, decreasing costs and decreasing energy consumption as the market continues to improve the hardware. Although miners have become increasingly efficient and cheap, Bitcoin mining has become unprofitable for those mining at the worldwide average electricity cost. This is due to the sharp increase in the Bitcoin price in late 2017 that led to a high investment in miners, which were largely delivered and turned on as prices dropped again in the beginning of 2018. The sharp increase in miners contributing to the network has resulted in an increased difficulty in finding new blocks, which in turn reduced the expected return. In 2018, the Bitcoin price decreased, but the mining hardware was already purchased and mostly running at costs when including the initial investment. Some miners were even destroyed as the basic operational costs exceeded the return. Safedine Bitcoin Mining Energy and Security 2018 Volume 1 Issue 3 link included if you want to check that out. Essentially, only the most competitive 
mining operators that have access to the cheapest energy could survive. This trend incentivizes the provision of cheap energy, which will be explained in great detail in the following sections. For the total energy consumption to increase, the hash rate must increase dramatically, surpassing the increased efficiency. As explained in the above section, the following equation holds. The block reward multiplied by the price equals the hash rate multiplied by the cost per hash. In this formula, the time interval per hash rate doesn't matter because the costs are calculated accordingly. Assume a hash rate per 10 minutes is used. Then the cost per hash rate of 10 minutes is applied. This is the same as taking the cost for hash rate for one second and then having 600 times more hash rates. Let's use an example. Assume the cost per hash rate for 10 minutes is 5. Then the following holds. 1 times 5 equals 600 times 5 divided by 600. Where the right side of the equation is the cost per second, which 10 minutes is 600 seconds, because the cost per hash rate per second is 5 divided by 600. Solving the equation for the total number of miners gives hash rate equals the block reward times the price divided by the cost per hash. Holding everything else equal, a decrease in mining costs per miner per block increases the incentive to contribute in mining and therefore increases the total hash rate. Now let's look at the numerator. In the future, the amount of newly minted bitcoins per block goes to zero. Thus, only the transaction fees serve as a block reward. Taking this factor by itself, a decrease in issued bitcoins per block should dramatically decrease the hash rate. However, in reality, this has not been true. At the last reward halving in mid-2016, there was no considerable decline in hash rate, yet profitability decreased dramatically. In the chart here from BitInfo Charts, um, which you can link to to dig in a little bit deeper, just shows the profitability versus the hash rate and when it separated uh, in 2016 during the last halving. Eventually, a constantly increasing Bitcoin price incentivizes miners to continue to contribute to the mining process and secure the network. Many Bitcoin experts believe that Bitcoin is undervalued and therefore expect the Bitcoin price to increase dramatically. Advanced research on the value of Bitcoin, a Delphi Digital Report, November of 2019, Bitcoin a $5.8 million valuation. As a result, the Bitcoin price development will influence the total hash rate in the future, which will determine the energy consumption. Essentially, the hash rate contributing to the network is defined by the market, and the market is unequivocal. In summary, the hash rate is positively correlated with the Bitcoin price because the incentive to mine increases. As a result, energy usage will be more efficient with increased hash rates due to increased competition that forces miners to optimize their power consumption. Finally, the hash rate will not go up indefinitely because Bitcoin halving balances the incentive to mine even if the Bitcoin price skyrockets in the next decades. In addition, there are developments that make the Bitcoin blockchain more efficient. The developments include optimizations such as transaction batching and advanced cryptography, as well as additional layers on top of Bitcoin like exchanges, Bitcoin banks, sidechains, and the Lightning Network. 
The Lightning Network is especially interesting for scaling the amount of Bitcoin transactions by reducing the average energy amount needed to secure one transaction of Bitcoins. As a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer payment system, using the consensus of the Bitcoin blockchain as a settlement layer to inherit its unique trust properties, the Lightning Network does not rely on an entry in the one commonly shared ledger called blockchain and could theoretically handle billions of transactions per second. Transactions performed on centralized second layers, exchanges like Coinbase, etc., are also not placed on the blockchain and don't consume the energy directly. In this case, trust comes from the entity documenting the Bitcoin transactions for its customers and maintaining a closed ledger about who owns how many Bitcoins. These developments result in many more, if not unlimited, payments without the need of placing them on the blockchain. That's why an increase in Bitcoin transactions decreases the average amount of energy needed to secure each individual Bitcoin transaction to almost zero. All right, let's take a quick break and hit our sponsor. I'm going to go grab some more water and uh, we will jump back in on the section, Why Proof of Work is a Necessity. Why Proof of Work is a Necessity. Quote, Energy expenditure is a key to the safety and security of the network, allowing it to maintain an honest record of transactions and a predetermined, fixed, credible monetary policy. End quote. Safety in Bitcoin Mining, The Energy and Security 2018, Volume 1, Issue 3. Bitcoin is the first and only cryptocurrency with the unique feature of predetermined, fixed Bitcoin issuance and difficulty adjustment based on sound consensus mechanism that makes the blockchain resistant to attacks. It is necessary to understand the underlying mechanism of Bitcoin to grasp its transformative value, explained below. In order to have a consensus about which blockchain contains the common version of truth, a measure must be applied. In proof of work, the chain which has the most accumulated energy is considered the one chain that everyone can rely on as the truth. The resource that this decision is based on must be scarce and costly in order to make it resistant to attacks. Bitcoin relies on the scarce resource of ready-to-consume energy. Thus, energy consumption is the essential feature for securing the Bitcoin blockchain. Bitcoin miners secure the network, and the amount of energy consumed is directly related to the security of the network. Bitcoin is computationally expensive by design, which is expressed in the wording proof of work. This implies resistance to forgery, inflation, and theft. But how exactly does the securing mechanism of the Bitcoin network function? The cost of an attack on the Bitcoin blockchain are directly related to the mining costs and the energy consumption. Assume an attacker aims to undo blocks to create a double spend, which means that the same digital token is spent more than once. In order to do this, the attacker first needs to be in control of at least 51% of the hash power and then spend the energy to run the hardware. Obtaining as much mining hardware to receive a 51% share is very unlikely due to delivery constraints, especially when hash rate is increasing. 
In addition, an extrapolation shows that if someone would be able to order the needed amount of hardware, the cost would be above 6 billion US dollars at the time of writing. Also, the daily average energy cost to perpetuate the attack would be more than 4 million US dollars. This means that there are ongoing costs involved after having reached majority, namely the cost to perpetuate the attack, which comprises the operational costs of constantly mining with at least 51% hash rate. Moreover, through such an attack, only the history may be rewritten to create a double spend. This skyrockets overall costs for performing an attack and undermines almost every utility of doing so. Importantly, as the consensus is determined by all participants running full nodes and not only the miners, it is also not possible to change the consensus rules for one's benefit. To conclude, a majority hash rate cannot override consensus rules, confiscate any Bitcoiners' coins, or change the monetary policy. Apart from securing the Bitcoin network, high energy consumption incentivizes more features. One, the network only accepts non-fraudulent blocks, which incentivizes miners to act honestly. In the event a miner acts fraudulently and proposes a block that does not fit the criteria, the mined block will be discarded by the network. Two, miners need to sell some of their mined bitcoins to finance their operational costs. This ensures a proper distribution and usage of bitcoins. Bitcoin secures a censorship-resistant, permissionless, and trustless network for value exchange that is open and decentralized by means of proof of work. An alternative to Bitcoin must support these features in a more energy-efficient way. So far, there is no better solution available than energy as proof of validity in the form of proof of work. Proof of stake is not an alternative. Proof of work ensures that attacks on the network are too costly and the mechanism allows conflict resolution in the case of a chain split because energy is at stake. In addition, the proof-of-work mechanism minimizes trust since the valid chain, the one with the most accumulated work, can be proven easily by everyone. Neither of these aspects hold true with the proof-of-stake mechanism. Further information on proof-of-stake and its flaws can be found in the CoinShares Bitcoin Mining Network Report. If you want to dive deep into the differences of proof-of-work and proof-of-stake, I can recommend to start with the following. Understanding Proof-of-Stake Through Its Flaws, Part 1, and Proof-of-Stake and the Wrong Engineering Mindset, both listed on Medium.com. The stability and security of Bitcoin makes it an alternative to fiat currency. Due to new developments such as the Lightning Network that allows the processing of instant transactions with nearly unlimited scale, Bitcoin may eventually become a stable world currency used for daily transactions. This is particularly relevant since the US dollar is poised to lose its position as a global reserve currency. Bitcoin might also overtake or at least complement gold as a world currency for several reasons as shown in the figure below. Two of the most important features that make Bitcoin superior to gold are instant settlement and lower costs. The costs for Bitcoin mining in comparison to gold mining are found in the last figure of the first section. Some may argue that Bitcoin merely serves as store of value, but a very good and widely adopted store of value automatically becomes medium of exchange and eventually a unit of account. 
thus inheriting all important attributes of money. A global world currency could eliminate currency risk due to a variation in exchange rates. This simplifies global trade. In addition, it could make the need for national monetary policy obsolete. This eliminates the artificial printing of money which otherwise leads to inorganic, risky growth and unnecessary costs imposed on society by political and special interest groups. Roger Garrison in The Costs of a Gold Standard summarizes cost under the paper standard more precisely as follows. 1. Costs imposed on society by different political factions attempting to gain control of the printing press. 2. Costs imposed by special interest groups who persuade controllers of the printing press to misuse their authority, print more money, for the benefit of the special interests. 3. Inflation-induced misallocations of resources as a result of misused monetary authority. And 4. Costs incurred by businessmen in their attempts to predict what the monetary authority will do in the future. Bitcoin is independent of any central party and therefore fully resistant to any kind of corruption. Proof of work allows for a secure network, enforces proper incentivization and honest behavior, enables consensus among thousands of participants, and ensures the development of the network. In addition, Bitcoin serves as an alternative to the central banking system and is already used as an independent world currency with no jurisdictions or borders. These highly sophisticated and crucial features justify the high energy consumption. Moreover, Bitcoin may provide a more energy-efficient money supply than the current system. The yearly costs of banking, paper currency printing, digital minting, and auditing are more than 400 times higher than the current costs for Bitcoin mining. See the figure in section 1. Why Bitcoin's proof of work has a positive impact on the environment. A huge portion of energy consumed by Bitcoin mining already originates from renewable energy sources. A recent study conducted by CoinShares concludes that renewable energy makes up 78% of total Bitcoin mining energy use, while another recent study from the Cambridge Center for Alternative Finance concludes a conservative overall 28% of renewable energy. As is usually the case, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Either way, Bitcoin mining is already greener than most other large-scale industries in the world. There are several reasons for the relative high share of renewable energy. First, Bitcoin's optimization compulsion incentivizes the use and generation of the cheapest available energy. Second, Bitcoin mining is not dependent on any specific location and can therefore easily happen where energy oversupply would otherwise be grounded and wasted. These arguments are outlined below. Bitcoin's objective function focuses on optimization as illustrated in the following figure. Every mining business aims to maximize hash power in order to receive the largest possible share of Bitcoins issued. Additionally, the cost per hash, mainly driven by hardware acquisition and energy consumption, must be as low as possible. 
Thus, a miner is incentivized to have the most efficient hardware and cheapest energy available. This, in turn, creates a market demand for efficient chips and cheap energy. As a result, the energy industry is incentivized to improve energy production, collection, and storage, which lowers energy prices to eventually serve the demand of cheaper energy. To elaborate on this idea, miners have an incentive to create as many hashes as possible with given energy. For all miners contributing in the Bitcoin network, difficulty and block reward is the same, but the hardware in use, the investment costs and operating costs, and the energy costs differ. Therefore, it is necessary to keep both low in order to be competitive. Energy from solar, water, wind, and terrestrial heat is freely and immediately available. Considering solar energy alone, the energy being radiated to the Earth in one hour is larger than the entire human race consumes in one year. However, society is just beginning to further explore the harvesting of green energy, i.e. putting human time into the exploration and delivery of energy based on renewable resources. Currently, the incentives to improve and optimize free energy harvesting methods are not driven by the markets, but political pressure or government subsidies. Consequently, the use of coal and oil can be cheaper at this moment in time. In addition, harvesting free and green energy is based on natural circumstances such as location and time. Utilizing these renewable energy resources and optimizing the methods and locations of harvesting and then converting it to usable electricity is quite interesting for Bitcoin mining. As stated previously, Bitcoin mining provides the immense advantage of being location independent. One of the important reasons for this location independence is that, besides energy and the right hardware, Bitcoin requires an extremely low internet bandwidth. The location of the mining hardware is not relevant to contributing to and profiting from the network. Mining hardware can literally be placed anywhere in the world. Due to this flexibility in location, energy production facilities are built around green energy sources that would have otherwise been left untapped. On the other hand, once a mining facility is installed in a remote low bandwidth area, almost nothing else, at least no other computational equipment can be installed if Bitcoin mining becomes unprofitable. Miners and energy producers in these areas sometimes don't have options to pivot to profitable activities without investing in high-speed internet. Additionally, these businesses constantly need to decrease their overall costs per hash to stay competitive and survive. Besides investing in the most efficient chips, one could only invest in the most advanced and efficient energy harvesting methods. As green energy is available for free, the harvesting process itself is the only cost factor which needs to be optimized in order to build out the competitive advantage. Bitcoin mining already serves as startup capital to finance many hydroelectric power facilities around the world, which can be extended to finance further infrastructure development after they break even. Facilities with an oversupply may put their excess energy into Bitcoin mining, as is the case for the hydropower plants in Canada. In China, excess energy is used for Bitcoin mining with wind and solar plants using up to 30% of the oversupply, which would otherwise be refused by the grid, grounded, and wasted.
Upstream data provides facilities to turn stranded natural gas sources such as methane into hash rate. ExaMesh tackles the problem of terminated green energy subsidy through linking windmills with ASIC miners to uphold their profitability. For example, due to canceled subsidies, windmills in Germany will not be profitable after 2020. But with ExaMesh, windmills merely need to use 20% of their energy to mine Bitcoin and inject the rest into the energy grid to be profitable. The process of using green energy for mining is called green mining. Northern Bitcoin is one mining pool that mines exclusively with green energy. Large Bitcoin mining corporations in particular are focusing on cost-efficient hardware and the consumption of cheap energy. They could convert into energy companies or cooperate with energy corporations to improve their profitability in this highly competitive environment. These mining corporations would become the frontrunners in making green energy production more effective, supporting the transformation to a low-carbon economy, and hence the renewable energy directive set by the EU to achieve its 20% renewables target by 2020 and 27% by 2030. Conclusion Quote, Bitcoin is providing a powerful market incentive to energy producers worldwide to increase their energy production. By giving a large financial incentive to anyone able to mine at an electricity cost below that of the market, Bitcoin makes the development of cheap sources of electricity anywhere in the world very rewarding. End quote. Everything in our lives is related to energy. Transportation, manufacturing, cooking, etc. requires energy. Thus, efficient energy production is essential to our everyday lives. Bitcoin incentivizes efficient energy production and therefore sets the correct incentives for the energy system as a whole. In addition, Bitcoin is a serious alternative to the current financial system. Bitcoin has the features to be a qualified, stateless world currency since it is censorship resistant, permissionless, and trustless, and since it provides instant settlement. The network is open and censorship resistant through proof of work. Essentially, Bitcoin is a common good from the people for the people. The correct incentivization inherent in the Bitcoin protocol and the importance of Bitcoin as an alternative to the financial system justify the massive use of energy for mining. Tweet from Whale Panda At least 78% of the Bitcoin mining is done with renewables versus the global average of 18%. Bitcoin miners look for the cheapest sources of electricity which are renewables. It is clear that Bitcoin mining is actually accelerating the growth of renewable energy infrastructure. The simple conclusion here is that if you're anti-proof-of-work or anti-Bitcoin or proof or pro-proof-of-stake, you're basically supporting and promoting global warming because Bitcoin is the answer. End tweet. This article would not have been possible without the help of Stephanie Von Jan. Thank you to all the contributors for their content, ideas, and feedback. Bitfury with special thanks to Alex Shevchenko. Munich Bitcoin Community with special thanks to Michael and Florian. Frank Gasser from Examesh. Rene Picard. Uh, Joaquin Wilk and Vortex. 
And there we have it. That will conclude. Bitcoin's energy consumption is a necessity and has a positive or and might have a positive impact on the environment by Daniel Wingen. Um, so uh, I really enjoyed this article. It's really dense. There is, he literally goes through a lot in this article. Uh, uh, particularly, I imagine probably the audio is hard to follow. If you're not already very familiar with the proof of work mechanism and mining in general, uh, I imagine the beginning of it with the nonce and the SHA-256 function and the 10 minute, like, like all of that stuff I know is probably really overwhelming to somebody who's new. So I'm actually going to just kind of go through uh, this and give like a simplified version, hopefully, of uh, exactly what's going on here. For the people who, we'll start with just the idea of proof of work. What does it mean? And he talks about it. It, it is the consensus mechanism for the Bitcoin network, right? So when, I always like to think of blocks as pages in a transaction ledger book. So like you're trying to keep the books on, you know, all the, the transactions happening between everybody on the network and every 10 minutes or so, you're like, all right, I'm going to stamp a page and we're going to move on to the next page. And proof of work is essentially what you're doing in order to have the, the right, essentially, the, the privilege, the reward of stamping a page because every single time we stamp a new page, New Bitcoins are issued into existence, and you get the fees from all the transactions that you manage to include in the page. So uh, it's like we're all competing to be the bookkeeper. All the miners are competing to be the bookkeeper uh, or the blockkeeper. Uh, that's kind of funny. Uh, I never thought about what, this, what that actual title means, the blockkeeper.io, which is um, Daniel Wingen's uh, 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 research and education uh, company. Uh, that may actually be what that's about, but regardless. Um, so we're all trying to compete to be the, the bookkeeper for the Bitcoin ledger because you get paid to do so. And the difficulty uh, that it takes, the amount of work that it takes in order to stamp that page is designed to fluctuate in order for the average time of stamping to be every 10 minutes. Um, and uh, he refers to something called a nonce which uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you, I'm sure you know what a nonce is. But if you don't, uh, the, a hash function is like a fingerprint of the data. So like, think of it like we're trying to uh, create a way to prove all of the information in that page of the, you know, the book that we're keeping. And uh, so the hash function is a way to create that fingerprint, but the fingerprint is arbitrary. It's completely random. We have no idea what it's going to look like beforehand. So if somebody asked me to produce a fingerprint of, you know, one page of information, let's say we take this whole article and we're going to create a fingerprint. We're going to create the SHA-256 hash of it. Well, if somebody said, I want you to create a hash that has five zeros at the beginning of it, well, all I can do is hash it and see if it has five zeros at the beginning of it. And uh, I do that the first time, and it doesn't happen. So my trick to make sure that I'm not changing anything in the article, but I get to hash it again and see if I can find those five zeros, is to put a nonce. Nonce means number used only once. So it's literally just putting an arbitrary digit at the end of it so that I can keep hashing the same information until I get the five zeros that I'm looking for. And that's how the difficulty adjustment works, is that 
uh, based on the number of uh, blocks that are found, based on the number of hashes that actually have that, that quote-unquote target that they're looking for, um, the, uh, the target adjusts every 2016 blocks. So um, I think it's uh, two weeks on average with the 10 minutes. So if, I'm, if the network is chugging along like crazy and we're somehow uh, making those valid stamps every two minutes um, instead of 10 minutes like we're supposed to, well, then the target adds a couple of zeros at the beginning of the um, fingerprint that we're supposed to find, and that slows everything down back to 10 minutes. And that's what's been happening simple, since the beginning of Bitcoin, essentially. There have only been two short periods during the bear markets, the extended bear markets, in which hash rate has actually fallen over, like, you know, weekly averages through, in the entire history of the network. Um, it's pretty fascinating with all of these things involved and the crazy swings in the Bitcoin price and stuff. The hash rate has been consistently higher and higher and higher. So, uh, and we see uh, Daniel lays out a lot in this article explaining exactly why those incentives, because we have, we've got those charts and I didn't really describe them because there's a lot of, they do, he does have a lot of charts and stuff in here that um, shows like the Bitcoin halving uh, and the, the, like the cutting down of the block reward as time goes on. And then um, uh, also the, where is it, where is it, where is it? The hardware efficiency versus the shipping date and then the cost versus the shipping date. Uh, and it shows these charts and those charts are insane. Um, like they're actually log chart. It looks like a, just like a, like a linear increase, but they're log charts. Like your look, each line is one, 10, and then 100. And then the same in the reverse on the hardware cost, 1,000 down to 100. Um, and uh, they're in multiples of 10, so it's, a, it's, it's an exponential chart, and we're seeing a linear graph, which means it's an exponential trend. Uh, and that's really insane. That means that at the exact same time, that, me that means that if uh, Bitcoin's price is entirely consistent, we should still expect to see uh, uh, the hash rate grow pretty significantly, or at least it certainly has and would be, do, uh, would be in the past. But we're also seeing the price increase. He talks about, like, you know, um, holding everything constant. Ha, ha, ha. Wouldn't that be great? We don't live in that world. Uh, and we also have in, in a wildly fluctuating price. And then the one differentiator outside of really the efficiency of the chip design is how you get the energy, which makes it really the, the fastest way to get a competitive advantage. Because hardware is a very long investment and requires redesigns, requires, you know, waiting for the uh, uh, hardware to ship. And after you have sunk cost in previous hardware, now your goal is to make it back as fast as possible. And if you can cut your energy costs in half, it's a whole lot better to do that with sunk cost hardware than it is to invest in new hardware because you're in a constant cycle of just trying to get the new hardware and never paying it off. So um, it's interesting how these... Everything really is the sentence are very strongly aligned with uh, creating the most efficient energy sources available. And there's a lot of really interesting uh, like data and stuff on this. Like one of the one of the most compelling explanations that I heard about um, a hydropower plant in Canada that had been built out but was but required another like just a ridiculous second expenditure in the infrastructure to get the power from that plant 
to the actual towns and cities that would utilize it because it was so remote um, that they actually used Bitcoin mining while they were in the infrastructure stage so that the, the plant wasn't just running, they weren't just eating all of this cost, they can actually return a profit or, or at least maintain stability for a short time like instead of constantly digging themselves into a hole that might take 10 years to pay off. You know, if Bitcoin mining uh, can actually make up the difference by uh, allowing it to produce energy while it has no other customer accessible, if Bitcoin mining can come in and make the difference, maybe that hydro plant can get paid off in three or four years instead of 10 years. And how much better does that look to an investor that's trying to take a risk on something like that? You know, in 10 years, there's no telling, like market changes happen really, really quick, but in three to four, it might make a whole lot more sense. Um, and particularly when you have these three to four year hype bubble trends in Bitcoin that could pay off even better than just a generic pay me back for my electricity. So, um, and so that, that was an interesting concept. And the, the quote was from uh, uh, the, the, the source, I guess you could say, that he's been linking to a lot of this with Saifedean's, uh, I mentioned it like two or three times, but it's actually uh, sourced like five or six other times, but it was a very long title, the Saifedean, uh, uh, where is it? <laughs> Hold on a second, let me find it. Saifedean, Bitcoin Mining, Energy and Security, 2018, Volume 1, Issue 3. So that was uh, uh, listed as the source like five or six times and I only said it like twice when I was like okay I'm tired of this uh, but it's just interesting he's like the quote from the article though is just that Bitcoin mining is already serves as startup capital to finance many hydroelectric power facilities around the world which can be extended to finance further infrastructure development after they break even so it allows them to break even faster because their customers essentially can come to them and uh, very quickly, it's much easier, obviously, to uh, set up a mining facility really quickly on site than it is to run how many hundreds, maybe thousands of miles of electricity infrastructure to reach a customer that's in a city that's nowhere near uh, what happens to be your very uh, powerful dam. So, um, and that's another just really incredible aspect uh, uh, in this incentive system uh, in this new market essentially that bitcoin mining is totally location independent and it's another thing to show that uh, like i love the have the comment of um uh where is it where is it let me see i, I highlighted it here one of the most important reasons for this location independence is that besides energy and the right hardware bitcoin requires an extremely low internet bandwidth the location of the mining hardware is not relevant to contributing to and profiting from the network. Mining hardware can literally be placed anywhere in the world. I thought that was a great, great comment, and I, I love that it was added in how important it is. Like, if you're talking about a dam in North, Northern California, uh, California, a dam in Northern Ca Canada that has no cities around it, what internet could you possibly expect to get? But technically... That's not really a huge concern because of Bitcoin's nature, like because of the key aspect of Bitcoin, that it's lean, that the network does not consume a ton of bandwidth, particularly for those sorts of cases that allows them to go out and source for energy 
uh, like really cheap and highly productive sources of energy that that just don't need you know you don't have to run a fiber connection out there you don't have to run a uh, a Silicon Valley data center with super like multiple fiber connections to have this massive connect you know you don't have to be you don't have to run a fiber line to the New York Stock Exchange to get higher uh, to get lower latency than your competitor um, because of the way Bitcoin is it maintains that decentralization and uh, lowers those barriers for anyone in the market. So as long as you can find the energy, the actual protocol is not going to limit you from mining. It's the energy source that's important. The internet is, the, the requirement for internet resources is low enough that you really just don't have to worry about it. You can basically f- solve that problem after you get there. You could use satellite internet for crying out loud. Um, so it's that's a really fascinating part of the proto- protocol that not only does it not only are small blocks important for just validation in general um so that we can actually still run full nodes so that we can always know inflation has never happened in the system no one has ever stolen coins no one has ever broken the consensus rules and we don't have to trust someone else to do that not only is it great to be able to sneak over tour to get through uh all the worst firewalls in the world to bridge China's firewall to uh, run through tour in hostile and adversarial countries. Not only is that important in all of those realms, and you know, if major governments of the world decide they're going to outlaw Bitcoin, it needs to run completely over tour. It should be able to do that. That's that would be that's exactly the kind of anti fragility that would um, keep keep these governments from outlawing it because they know it wouldn't be, uh, it, it wouldn't be successful. Um, it wouldn't stop the network. If they're, they're much less likely to, likely to actually attack it if they think it's going to be useless. Um, and then at the same time, on top of all of those, uh, we've got the idea that you know, we can go out, we can drive a shipment of ASICs all the way out into you know the middle of the Canadian wilderness and plug into a dam, and as long as we've got a satellite connection and maybe uh, you know maybe like a really strong radio signal or something, we can mine Bitcoin, and that's just an insane thing that like remote locations like this or you know natural gas uh, like uh, mining facilities or oil rigs, all, where all this excess energy is being wasted and unable to be utilized. It's fascinating to see the, how quickly incentives are in li- aligning and we have companies like Examesh that are trying to actually figure out how to capitalize on this. So, you know, they're making partnerships with all of these uh, green energy and like windmill plants and stuff to consume that extra energy rather than grounding it. Um, and making them more profitable and being a subsidy in the face of their loss of subsidies. That's unbelievable. Like, what other technology can boast that level of benefit to renewable energy? Um, I, almost, I, I almost feel like a little bit uh, uh, reserved. I, I feel like the article should be titled Bitcoin's Energy Consumption is Necessary and Has a Positive Impact on the Environment. Like, I, I think it. I think the might is a little bit subdued that like he made an argument that says, no, it, it is end of story. Like it's one of the highest, again, again, it's hard to say exact numbers. Um, and there's a range, 
but pretty much any way you look at it, the Bitcoin mining industry has the highest percentage of renewable energy use as anything else, and it's well above all of the green energy targets um, already. So if that industry expands at the expense of some other energy uh, industry, uh, which hopefully it would be finance because of the horrible problems which we're about to get into with finance, uh, uh, if, if it is pooling, uh, uh, pulling resources away from that uh, industry into the Bitcoin mining industry, well, then we're looking at shifting from incredibly non-renewable high-cost energy to renewable low-cost uh, energy uh, with, with the amazing added benefit that you're solving the financial problems at the same time. So the comparison is almost just, it's absurd, some of these claims, like the degree of, oh, everything's falling apart that they're claiming with this because this is a, it's, it's a perfectly measurable, that's one of the most, that's another one of the very interesting things about this is that you can measure to a T. Like we have strict data and a very simple math problem to figure out energy costs, to figure out security. Like these things have never been, think about security as, and trust. We are measuring that with a specific dollar number. That's really hard to do. There's not really any other great, I don't know of any other technology can, that can literally say in an, a non-abstract way, in an objective way, this is the amount of security you're getting. It's almost always some degree of subjectivity. Uh, and the fact that we're turning energy consumption directly into uh, security, into trust, for the pages of that ledger that we're talking about is really mind-blowing. And at the same time, the, the biggest differentiator is where and how you get your energy, making it one of the most powerful incentives for alternative energy sources and renewable energy sources that we could really get in a natural market. Um, and that's just, it's just really amazing. But the other thing that he does which was the, one of the sections that just I absolutely loved and really was the reason that I was like, okay, uh, I'm definitely going to have to read this one on the show, even though some of the technical stuff early on I thought was probably hard to do in audio. Um, the section where he breaks down the cost of the gold standard by Roger Garrison, and I don't know this piece. I should, because he's linked to it. Let me see if I can find it. Roger W. Garrison on Lou Rockwell, a gold standard in Austrian perspective. How long is this thing? Woo! It's a big one, but I don't know. I may very well need to read. I'm going to read this one and see if this is worthy of the show. Um, but the four points that uh, he lays out from this, uh, from this article that is uh, published on the, what is this, on Lou Rockwell, auburn.edu? I don't know. Um, so the four points that he talks about here are one, the cost, th these are the costs of the paper standard here. One, the cost imposed on society by different political factions attempting to gain control of the printing press. Think of the amount of time we waste either defensively or aggress aggressively on political campaigns to stop a subsidy or to uh, include a subsidy. Think about the massive amount, like 
when, when did you start hearing about the next election? How much money, how much time, how much human labor, how much passion and frustration is wasted fighting over the printing press's ability to fund whatever project we deem politically fit at the moment or whatever you know wasteful education system or corporate subsidy the the massive cost there is just in the game just in the game to get us to one's a yes or a no on some bill then two the cost imposed by special interest groups who persuade controllers of the printing press to misuse their authority to print more money for the benefit of special interests. Every year we are running a deficit. That deficit is only possible because we're printing money, is because we can create debt out of thin air, and they have the authority to do that. The banking system, the fractional reserve banking system, and the government and the central bank are the ones with the authority to do that, and therefore they are consuming vast amounts of resources for their projects, for their corporate subsidies, for their special interest groups, uh, for their, their friends who would really like to just be part of a uh, not-going-to-change-anymore insurance industry, uh, for everybody who just wants to work for a government contract because, holy crap, how stable is that? You can't, it's impossible to get fired. Like, think about all the benefits of having a big, giant, cushy, high-pension government job and everyone is vying over that because they are the ones that can just print. And when the price of housing goes up, when the price of healthcare goes up, when the price of uh, education goes up, when the price of food goes up, when all of these things go up, m most, the vast majority of people completely miss that that's because of the printing press, that that's because all of those extra resources, that efficient, uh, the efficiency of all of those markets is sucked up, the value, the labor, uh, the resources are pulled away from all of those alternative uh, uses for it and dumped into a giant, wasteful, bloated uh, political instrument that is just printing money to get everything it wants, while everybody else has to actually earn and pay for things. And then three, inflation-induced misallocations of resources as a result of misused monetary authority. Inflation-induced misallocations of resources as a result of misused monetary authority. Understand, when things like housing, the housing market start to increase in price substantially and more debt is borrowed against nothing in order to purchase it in, purchase new housing and new land and real estate in expectation that the thing will continue to rise in value, it is a feedback loop that doesn't happen in a natural market the interest rate would adjust as people took out debts that weren't backed by savings. The interest rate would go up. Nobody is going to buy a house that might make 10% gain this year on a 12% interest rate. They will on a 2% interest rate that's government subsidized by the printing press or that's subsidized by the fractional reserve banking system. So what happens? Well, instead of the price going up 10% this year, it goes up 15% because we have a whole bunch of new money coming out of nowhere chasing the self-fulfilling prophecy of price increases because everybody thinks the price is going to increase, so they take out debt, they buy it, and then they turn around and expect to make a profit in a year or two. But these bubbles, these debt bubbles, don't happen if you can't create currency out of thin air, if you can't 
manipulate the interest rate down. And understand, something like Bitcoin, if that's the foundation of a financial system, the reason they can manipulate the interest rate is specifically because they can issue the debt. So if everyone is settling in Bitcoin and not accepting the debt notes, we're talking about two separate currencies here, a currency backed by debts and promises and a currency backed by its actual value, a positive currency that is representative of already produced value, which is something like Bitcoin. That's sound money versus debt money or fiat money. When we're talking about the comparison between those two things, a foundation, uh, a financial system based on something like Bitcoin cannot have that level of imbalance in a bubble. There will always be market swings, but they will correct quickly. Mt. Gox is a great example. Mt. Gox basically ran fractional reserve. It just only lasted like six months. Because why? People started withdrawing their Bitcoin when it got scary. And when they start withdrawing Bitcoin, Mt. Gox realizes that all they can give people are Mt. Gox notes because they don't actually have Bitcoin. They don't have the Bitcoin to make up the difference. So that's a huge, huge misallocation of resources just because um, assets that should not be increasing in price do, and it stimulates bubbles for people that are funneling debt into uh, speculative resources for the sole purpose of its dollar value is going up. So people are chasing, like trying to pull real resources from the economy because the debt, I mean, excuse me, the money itself uh, is losing its value. So you have to put it somewhere. And by putting it somewhere, they take real estate off the market and let it sit empty while there's a homeless problem in the city. Um, I mean, there was a... Ah, man, what was the one? It was by Connor Brown, I think it was. Uh, the article by Connor Brown about, I believe it was the one that Bitcoin has no intrinsic value, and he compares it to real estate, and he talks about the uh, ridiculous percentage. I want to say it was as high as like 30% of luxury homes that sat empty most of the year. That's crazy to think about because these people are just parking their wealth in something that increases in value but this is real this is real land people need the land for other things uh money is not a consumable resource you can't eat money that's the whole point so that's the incredible value of money is that when you're saving in money you're increasing the value of that money and the efficiency of that money in translating value and therefore it's spread to everyone who is saving and it actually decreases the value or it, not the value but it decreases the money price of the goods that people actually need. So it's good for the poor, for the rich, to actually save their money instead of consume it. Because the rich can consume enormous amount of resources. So if they're producing a ton of stuff and not consuming it, well, it means that the prices are low for the people who must consume it because they don't have any other option. They don't have any savings yet, which means that their standard paycheck, rather than getting crappier and crappier as time goes on and having, you know, six months down the line now, I feel like I've got to get another wage increase just to afford the same groceries I got six months ago. Well, now they have the exact opposite. Their same wage buys more groceries because people are saving in actual money. They're saving in the actual uh, good that is the translation of value in the economy rather than goods that must be consumed, rather than, you know, 
pulling a bunch of barrels of oil out of the economy uh, and, and hoping that it goes up in price, pulling housing from the economy and increasing rents and uh, housing prices and living costs all across the board. All of these things uh, are like inflation causes so many imbalances in the economy. And then number four, costs incurred by businessmen in their attempts to predict what the monetary authority will do in the future. And this is the perfect example. If you watch when the Fed releases their minutes, tells what the interest rate's going to do, uh, like what they're going to do with the interest rate, whether they're going to keep it the same, lower it or increase it, watch the markets. Watch how much money shifts up or down based on what these people say. That is not a free market. That's not real prices. That is a central banking dictate. That is, that, is an, that is the very definition of a socialist financial system. One, uh, socialist might not be the right word, just authoritarian. Socialist would mean, you know, uh, like, quote-unquote, government-owned or collectively owned, so to speak. And that's not exactly what it is. It's just, it's like a, it's just an authoritative monopoly. But regardless, the main idea is that we're waiting for an authority in order to make market decisions rather than making decisions based on market indicators, market prices, and market supply. That is the opposite of a market. That's not a market. That's a game of politics. And the amount of misallocation that happens because of number three in floor, three in floor, three, uh, three in four, the inflation misallocations, and then the costs incurred by predicting, by preparing for what the monetary authority is going to do is literally in the trillions of dollars. Bitcoin stands the, the, the potential to actually fix this problem. And because you can't cheat the system, you can't create that debt money in Bitcoin. You can't, uh, you can't fudge the numbers. You can't have a trillion, two trillion, three trillion uh, uh, dollars worth of fake Bitcoins exchanging hands behind the scenes because nobody's going to accept that if they know they can't settle it in dollars. There's no, there's no cap keeping them from being able to settle it. When they want something from the economy, they just need to grab it faster than the people who don't yet have the money. So the people who are closest to the money printers get insanely rich at the expense of everyone who's two, three steps away with a wage or a paycheck or a mortgage. And it's just, the cost is astronomical. And to think that Bitcoin, by and large, like I, I feel like if Bitcoin was consuming 25% of the world's energy, if it solved that, it would be a tiny cost to pay. And he didn't even include the fact that uh, it is exactly the printing press that makes never-ending decades-long wars a possibility. You would never be able to sustain, if we had to send a check to every man and woman in this country, in the U United States, for the thousands of dollars that they have to pay out of pocket, the value is lost to them. They just don't know where. It's why they're bitching about minimum wage. It's why they bitch about high home, home costs. All of these things, education, health care, cars, um, all of these things go up in prices because those, that labor, that value is being consumed. 
and enormous amounts of it are being consumed on the war on drugs and the uh, the war on everything in the Middle East. What are we invading or bombing like nine countries now? Who even knows what the number is? Um, and uh, so this is another massive ongoing cost that would not be sustainable if we had direct taxation. Without the world reserve currency, no, no other country could keep up the military cost that we keep up. It is because of the Federal Reserve's ability to uh, print and issue new money against such a massive economy that uses the dollar. Because we're not talking about the U.S. We're talking about every, the dollar is the world reserve currency. Every bank that backs their currency with dollars, that holds dollars in reserve, every country that buys oil with dollars, everything from OPEC in the Middle East, all priced in dollars, all of this is the economy that the government gets to inflate their money with. So as that economy starts to shrink, as people start to avoid the dollar or make transactions in Bitcoin or Russian rubles or uh, a Japanese yen, whatever, whatever currency they start to use instead of it, it starts to chip away at the edges of that reserve status and any inflation that they attempt, any more uh, debt inflation or just uh, general printing of money starts to get exaggerated more and more. So where the same policy might have done 2% inflation one year, three years later as people start to avoid the market, you might be looking at 10% inflation, 20% inflation with the same amount of new currency in existence uh, are being printed simply because the breadth of the market that they get to inflate is shrinking as the dollar loses its reserve status. And I think just as this article says, it is absolutely poised the, the whole stage is set and the pieces are falling for the dollar to lose its reserve currency status. Every other time that these major currency collapses have happened, the fall of the Roman Empire, this is an old story. It's happened over and over and over again. And every single time, the general population ends up thinking, oh, the debt's not, doesn't matter. We'll just keep paying for everything. And the whole idea gets flipped on its head until the, until the thing shifts, until the bubble has to come crashing back down. And it's literally just a matter of time. And we are really lucky to have something uh, that is both a brilliant incentive for renewable energy uh, that can solve the corruption and the systemic imbalances of our financial system that can independently and securely allow cooperation and trade between hostile countries across all borders, regardless of who is using it, uh, that treats everyone independently and equal, regardless of their, their stature, their political position, uh, or who they are. You are the key. You are the key holder. You are the owner. The fact that we have a technology that is this powerful and changes the, the foundation that drastically is, is just mind-blowing. Um, we could not be luckier to have an escape valve like Bitcoin. Um, and I don't see anything else. Uh, his comments on like proof of work and proof of stake, I encourage you to read those articles uh, that he linked to. There's a lot of links. There's a lot of great other like reports and links and stuff in this article. So I encourage you to go up there and actually check that out. 
and check out blockkeeper.io, um, which I really have not explored uh, much at the moment. Let me go straight to that um, thing. I will make sure that I use the um, use. I, I will put the the links to all of uh, uh, Daniel Wingham's uh, Twitter page, blockkeeper.io, and then the the Medium page as well, all in the Twitter post and the show notes so that you can go drop some applause on this article. Uh, it definitely, definitely deserves it. A really thorough uh, argument laying out all of the incentives uh, and costs involved. And I just thought it was a really, really good addition to the crypto economy collection. So with that, we will go ahead and close this out here. Thank you guys so much for listening. This is the Crypto Economy Podcast, and I am Guy Swan, the guy who's read more than anyone else you know about Bitcoin. And uh, yeah, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Follow me on Twitter at The Crypto Economy and, you know, stick with me. Uh, we got, uh, don't forget to share this out. Uh, we got a lot coming in the future, and I think this is going to be a really fun project. Uh, I, I'm sticking with this for the long haul. I've told, I've said that a couple times on the show. I'm sure. Um, and uh, don't forget to share this out. We've had a pretty big influx of new listeners in the last couple of weeks, really, like three, three, four weeks, maybe. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Even though I've missed a couple of episodes, I've been kind of busy lately. But uh, that's really exciting. And thank you guys. I've been seeing you guys share it out. Um, and I got a couple new supporters recently. Just awesome. Thank you guys so much for all the stuff that y'all are doing. Uh, I feel like I got like a whole crew of people that are like secretly helping me out back there. So thank you uh, for all the work and for sharing, uh, sharing all of this out for the people who are interested in Bitcoin and looking to go down the rabbit hole uh, to see what it's like to be a, a digital nomad uh, in this new crypto economy that we are building. So thank you so much. I love you all. And until next time, take it easy, guys. Mm -hmm.